Good morning everyone, it's great to be sharing the offering message with you this morning. Um, this morning's reading comes from Psalm 27 verses 1 and 2. The Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger. Throughout this psalm, David never asks for trouble to come on his enemies. He just asks for God's protection and for God's light in the situation. And in verse five, he asks God to hide him in his sanctuary. And I was reflecting on it this week and just thinking, you know, if I'm in a difficult situation or maybe have an issue with somebody, do I ask God to come into the situation? So as you prepare your offering today, just maybe think about either a difficult situation that you're in or maybe somebody perhaps where the relationship is under strain and just ask for God's light to come into that situation. Um, so yeah, I'll just pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are our light and our salvation. And Lord, we ask that you would come into those difficult places and bring your light and your love, Lord, so that your name may be glorified. And Lord, may the offerings this week be used to glorify your name. Amen. Hello all and welcome to this week's message. I hope that you all wrapped up nice and warmly. I know it's been a very cold week. So I hope this message finds you well. I was just so encouraged this week when I went into the store and I saw that these beautiful daffodils were on sale. They are always such a good reminder that in the dead of winter that there is another season coming, that there's something else. And it kind of reminds us a little bit about when we go through our own struggles and our own hard times, that there's a reminder that God loves us, that he has a plan and a purpose for us, and that his promises will come to fulfillment in our lives. So if you're going through a bit of a tough time at the moment, take hope as you see that the beautiful daffodils coming through the ground, because I'm sure you'll see them out and about, that God's plans and purposes will come to fulfillment in each one of our lives. So hang on in there. And um, if you need any prayer or you need somebody to, to you, just to chat through things, please let us know. You're welcome to join us in the ministry time after this message. So before we jump into the word, I just want to do, yeah, just share a quick prayer and then we will see what, um, what's in the message today. So let's just close our eyes and just say, Father, thank you so much just for the plans and the purposes that you have for us, Father God, that despite the seasons and the highs and lows that we go through, Father, that <clears throat> your plans, your purposes, your promises always come to fulfillment in our lives, Father God. Thank you just for your love, your grace, your kindness, your faithfulness towards us, Father God. We just want to say thank you, Lord. Thank you for your provision in every sense of the word. Lord, we know that we are nothing without you. We cannot do it without you, Father God. And we just want to say thank you. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts, Lord. We just thank you for your word that is going out this morning, Lord. And we just pray that only what you want us to hear will be heard, Father. And um, we just consecrate this message to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. And I was just so encouraged this week when we heard um, Hercules' sermon, when he challenged us with, would we have missed Zacchaeus? And would we have taken the time to see and to notice Zacchaeus? And then go further to spend time with him? 
You know Zacchaeus, the tax collector, the one who climbed up the tree to go and see Jesus. A sinner amongst sinners. But yet Jesus goes to him and says, Zacchaeus, come down from there, for I must stay with you. And we know the controversy that this caused amongst the people at the time. But if Jesus hadn't have stopped, would Zacchaeus have changed at all? A very challenging question. But now I want us to flip this question around and place ourselves in Zacchaeus's shoes. If we were Zacchaeus and Jesus stopped while we were up the tree, what would our response have been? Would we have been skeptical about this holy man who just invited himself over? Or would we have maybe felt honored as he's picked us from the crowd? If we read the scripture further where we see Zacchaeus coming to meet Jesus, we know that Zacchaeus responds by saying, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. If I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay him back four times. And why is it important that we know this? Well, it's important because it gives us a glimpse into the transformation of Zacchaeus's heart. This is a man who has taken wealth from others, but his life is transformed when he meets Jesus. He says, I want to make right the wrongs and therefore I will repay what I have done. I will give half of my possessions and pay back four times what I've cheated someone. That's rather a grand gesture to right your wrongs, don't you think? But does it mean that we can actually pay our way into the kingdom of God? And we all know that the answer is no. Giving away half of our possessions doesn't get us into God's kingdom. As we know, God's kingdom cannot be bought. But when Zacchaeus gives away his wealth, it is his response that comes from his heart. He is acknowledging that he was once a slave to accruing wealth and money, and now he is giving it away to show he's no longer a slave to it. He has a new focus in life, a new master, so to speak, and they are not his possessions. He is doing it out of gratitude from a place of, my wealth didn't actually make me wealthy, but knowing you, God, is what made me wealthy. And obviously that wealthy is different to the way the world knows the term wealthy. So I now want to just have a quick look where we see, we've obviously seen Zacchaeus, his heart is transformed. But what happens if Zacchaeus had had a hard heart? And well, there's a story in Luke 12 from verse 13 to 21 where we see a rich man who actually had a hard, a hard heart. And we see what, what happened in his scenario. And so the context of the scripture is that Jesus is speaking to the crowd and somebody in the crowd says to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, so Jesus is now responding to him, Who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetedness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told him a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he, taught, and he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have no way to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool. This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who has laid up treasures for himself, and is not rich towards God. Wow, 
What a story about someone whose focus is themselves and their wealth. The rich man had very clearly hardened his heart towards God because it says it in scripture. He says um, he had laid up treasure for himself and was not rich towards God. But what does it mean to be rich towards God or not rich towards God? Very interesting question and I will come back to it. So let's keep reading about Zacchaeus. So as the story of Zacchaeus unfolds, it ends with Jesus continuing on his way to Jerusalem. But he starts to tell the story about a noble man who went to a faraway country. But before he did, he gave his servants um, a minor each and went away and told the servants to do business until he returns. And we know how the story goes. One servant created ten miners and he was then put in charge of ten cities. And the second servant created five miners and so he was put in charge of five cities. And well, the last servant didn't do anything with his money. And we know where that got him. As we start moving through the sermon today, I want to start adding some shape to it. Some of you might be thinking, is Chrissy talking about money and wealth and how we should be managing our money and our wealth? And although I'm touching on these topics, this is by no means the heart of the message that I'm wanting to convey. In the first story, we see Zacchaeus is confronted by Jesus and something beautiful happens in his heart. Something flips so that he no longer values his current possessions and he turns 180 degrees and moves off into a different direction. The second story of the brothers fighting over inheritance results in Jesus saying, For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions and speaks about covetous behavior, that is, desiring what others have. And I believe the scripture is trying to give us an insight into where our focus should lie. Are we busy trying to keep up with the Joneses? Or are we focused on making a career or building our own kingdom so that we can retire well? Or we can spend our free time on our hobbies or our friends or whatever the case is. And I want to be clear today that careers are not bad, pensions are not bad, savings not bad, friends and hobbies are not bad. But the problem comes in is when it becomes our sole focus. When we give what's left over to God rather than pursuing God with all of our heart and mind and soul and strength. And I believe this can make us be not rich towards God. You know, when we expect God to revolve his life around ours rather than us revolving our lives around God and his kingdom and his plans. So I want to tell a little bit of a different story and I have Margot to, thanks, uh, to thank for this story. Um, it's one that she told many years ago and it's always stuck with me. And so I just want to share it with you today and hopefully it'll give you a different perspective or an understanding of what I'm trying to say. So once upon a time there was a very wealthy man and um, one day the day came when he, he died and the angel of death came to fetch him. Um, but before they left, he said, the rich man said to the angel of death, he said, listen, I, I, I just need to grab some things. Can you just hang on here? I'm just going to go and, and, and grab the things. I'll, I'll be back with you now. And so the, the angel of death said, okay, sure, whatever. <laughs> um, and the rich man went off and he came back and he said, okay, right, I'm, I'm good to go. And he had a backpack with him. And the angel of death didn't really say very much, but he said, okay, <laughs> we'll go on our way. And so off they go to the pearly gates, so to speak, and Michael is there checking the man in. And he said, sorry, sir, you cannot bring any bags in here. 
And the rich man said, no, no, I must have this bag with me. You cannot, you know, I have to bring it in. And, the, and Michael said, no, you cannot have what is in this, you know, you can't bring it in. You, you have to leave it outside. So eventually after arguing about it a little bit, um, Michael says, okay, fine, let's, what, what is in the bag? Let's have a look. And as Michael opens the bag, there is just bars and bars of gold. So gold bars. And Michael, looking at this, is very confused. And he eventually says to the man, why did you bring paving stones? And I just, I just absolutely love that story because what this man perceived to be valuable was actually, in the grand scheme of things, just a paving stone. And we know that when we read about heaven and just what's to come, that, oh, it's just going to be beautiful and, and amazing and magnificent. I mean, it speaks about the, the precious stones that adorn, you know, the city. The wall of the city it says there's jasper and sapphire and emerald and sardius i don't even know what that is chrysolite and beryl and topaz i mean there's just layers and layers and layers of beauty and that's just the city wall um we haven't even begun to touch on the you know the, the radiance of being in god's presence the fact that we won't need light because of his splendor we, we haven't even touched on the peace the joy the worship that is yet to come there's no sickness no death the overwhelming sense of God's love that causes us to respond in, in, in heartfelt worship, praise, and honoring him. And so the essence of what I'm trying to say today is this. When we picture ourselves in heaven one day, and let's just imagine this. So all of our busyness is stripped away. Our work appointments, our friend appointments, whatever it is, lockdown. The pressure of providing is stripped away. The pressure of having enough is stripped away. Just absolutely everything is stripped away. And when we consider the splendor that is yet to come, what do we think of? And will this change the way we do things? Well, what is our heart towards our possessions, our life, our living of our best life? Where is our focus? Are we like the brothers fighting over our inheritance? Or what about clutching to our possessions so that it gives us a hard heart? Or what about stopping us from being generous to those around us? Or even being generous towards God? How about are we investing in ourselves? Are we actively taking what God has given us and using it to actually build God's kingdom and not our kingdom? Or maybe we're in a place where we have so little that we can't even afford to be generous to anybody or anything. We have nothing of material value. Does this change our understanding of generosity? And I could probably get stuck down a hole with this one, but I do want to say we can absolutely be generous without actually having a penny. Time is something that we all have and it's free. And giving somebody your time is actually a beautiful and generous gift. But before I get sidetracked, I'm going to go back onto the message. When we look at what we have, are there actually just paving stones in the grand scheme of things? And do we actually know what it means to build God's kingdom and what the building material is? Or are we consumed by how this world thinks? and works that we struggle to build God's kingdom because we think hmm we need we think we need what you would need here on earth in order to build a kingdom but let's put a pin in that concept of paving stones
The essence of what I'm trying to say today is this. When we picture ourselves in heaven one day, let's just imagine it. All of our busyness is stripped away, our work appointments, lockdown, the pressure of providing, having enough, whatever that means. Everything is just stripped away. And what, are we, what is left when we consider the splendor of, of, of what is yet to come? Does it change the way we want to do things? What about our heart towards our possessions, our life, or our living our best life? Where is our focus? Like the brothers fighting over inheritance, possibly? Does clutching our possessions give us maybe a hardness of heart and stops us from being generous to those around us or even being generous to God? How about, are we investing in ourselves? Are we actively taking what God has given us and using it to build his kingdom? Or maybe we are in a place where we have so little that we believe we can't even afford to be generous to anybody or anything. When we have nothing of material value, does this maybe change the way we see generosity? Now, I could probably get stuck on this sort of... Um, <laughs> This sort of topic for for quite a while so i'm just going to touch on it very briefly and then keep going but i just wanted to say we can absolutely be generous without actually having a, a penny and there's something about our time that we need to remember that it's actually a very precious gift and when we give it to somebody or something that it's actually a very beautiful and generous gift that we're actually giving so now i want to look at when we look at what we actually have are they um, paving stones in the grand scheme of things? Do we actually know how to build God's kingdom and what the building material is? Or are we maybe consumed by how this world thinks and how this world works? That we struggle to build God's kingdom because we think, hmm, what will I actually need? Because we have an idea of how the, build, how the world builds, but how does God build his kingdom? And so I just want to put a, um, a pin in this topic and I want to quickly go off onto a different tangent and then we're going to come back. Don't worry. <laughs> Hopefully we'll wrap things up um, very quickly and very easily. So I want to read from Luke 16 verse 19 to 31 where um, it speaks about another very wealthy man. And it says, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham from far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger into water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in the flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime you received good things, and Lazarus um, in his manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who have passed from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said to them, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. 
But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And Abraham says to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Sure. What a story, hey? And there's so much to actually take from this parable, but the, the bit that I want to focus on is um, when Abraham says, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So what I want to say is, are we awake enough to know the urgency of the times? Some may say the end has been coming for 2,000 years and we're still waiting. <laughs> but we know how the story of the, the ten virgins goes and we, you know, they were waiting for the groom and five actually didn't end up making it in. They missed out. So I'm not trying to scare the living daylights out of you and I um, to sell everything you have and enter into the ministry. But what I'm wanting to say to you is let's shift our focus. Let's shift our focus by saying, God... I want to focus my life on you. I want to live for an audience of one. Lord, I want to give you my best time. The best of who I am. The best of everything I am in my very being. And when I consider my life and comfort and stability, I just want to say, God, that it's nil in the presence of eternity. Help me, God, to prioritize what is important in your kingdom regardless of how much it costs me, whether it's financially, time-wise, comfort-wise, whatever it is. We want to say, God, we cry out to you. Help us to see. Help us to see your kingdom, Lord, to live accordingly, despite us being very present in this world and very present in a sinful body and with a mind that understands worldly ways. Only God can give us insight into his kingdom and into building his kingdom. So I want to summarize what we've been speaking about before we go on to um, the last scripture that I kind of is going to wrap everything up for us. So like Zacchaeus, when we consider his story, how have we responded to God's provision poured out on us? Does our life take 180 and we break free from the master that we've been serving to serve God? Does our heart transform and we delight in even giving away everything that has once enslaved us? What about the man who was accruing his own wealth? Has it maybe stopped us from being generous to God? Or maybe have we cheated him in terms of what is rightfully his? And what about the, the rich man who thought gold bars were valuable, but they turned out to be paving stones? Have we maybe misunderstood what's really important here on earth? Or what about the other man, who, the rich man, who wanted to send a message to his brothers to warn them of the afterlife? But it was too late, as they should have been listening to God's messengers and the Holy Spirit that we now have. So I reiterate this point again. This is really not a fright tactic. I just want to make sure that we get our focus right here. Are we fitting in with God's plans or is God fitting into our plans? So let's read one last time and I want us to look at the book of Haggai. And it's quite lengthy, but um, yeah, just hang in there. Um, it's got some really good things in it. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, 
The word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shatil, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your panelled houses while the house while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and you have harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who eagers who who earns wages does so um, to put them in a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house, that I may take pleasure in it, and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because that my house lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own home. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce, and I have cancelled, oh sorry, and I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, on the wine, the oil, and what the ground brings forth on man and beast and all, the, and all their labours. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shatil, and, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the word of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord uh, their God had sent them. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of God, uh, of, of the Lord, spoke to the people of the Lord's message. And he said, I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shatil, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord, of um, the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. <clears throat> in the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shatil, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I have made when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts. Yet once more, a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasure of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give you peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Sure, what a verse, hey? <laughs> when we change our focus and we shift from building our own kingdoms to building God's kingdom. But how do we actually go about building God's kingdom? And what exactly is God's kingdom? 
We know now more than ever that God's kingdom is not a building. It is made up of people and each person a proverbial brick in the building. And as we, we focus on lives, on, uh, sorry, as we focus our lives on building God's kingdom, we see that we build it um, when we build others. And how do we build other people's lives, so to speak? Well, it can start with the smallest gesture in love, offering to buy coffee, carrying somebody's groceries, going the extra mile for that colleague of yours who's a little bit absent-minded, so to speak. It's about speaking truth in times of confusion. It's about listening um, to someone who hasn't you know, seen anybody for weeks. It's about speaking words of encouragement, about translating what God has done for us, but also to allow it to spill out from our hearts, to give our testimonies of God's goodness. It's also about using what we've been blessed with to bless others. I was listening to such a great sermon this week by Bill Johnson, where he was speaking about God's favor on our lives. And he used such an awesome example about God's favor of our lives that we should not hold on selfishly to what we've been blessed with. Obviously, we can do what we like with what we've been blessed with, but that actually we would miss out so much if we actually didn't use that gift to bless other people. So the story he used, he spoke about the woman who bought the alabaster jar of perfume and poured it over Jesus' feet. And that there was such a greater cause that was required for her to actually buy that perfume in the first place. And the irony of the whole story is that he says that both the woman and Jesus walked out the building that night smelling of perfume. So when we take what is, is ours to bless others and to build God's kingdom through it, something much greater happening happens that cannot be explained by worldly terms. We know that when that woman poured that perfume over Jesus' feet, there was a much greater thing that was actually happening, um, where that woman actually could have kept that, that the perfume for herself. But both when she used it to bless Jesus, both her and him were blessed through that story or through that, that act. So let's go back to our friend Zacchaeus and let's go back and put our, our feet back in his shoes. How are we going to respond to the love, the kindness, the grace, the generosity that God has poured out on us? And let this be a heart response. There is no method or seven-step plan as to how we should respond. How does your heart want to respond to God? What are we going to cast off or lay aside as a result of meeting Jesus or the fact that when he has poured out his love, his kindness, his mercy, his grace upon us, how do we want to respond and give thanks to him? And then lastly, like Zacchaeus, how will we respond to those around us? In the first instance, we see that he repaid his wrongs for what he did. But what's the next step after that? When once we've been transformed by God, the most beautiful thing happens. Everything comes, becomes a loss for the sake of knowing him. We begin to make his priority our priority. We start to see why he loves the people that we often find annoying. We start making decisions after we have consulted God, rather than making a decision and then asking God to bless it. And also, we keep our eyes firmly fixed on him and not lose heart of the situation that we maybe find ourselves in. And now I'm going to ask a very challenging question 
to the church at large. How are we going to build God's kingdom? Is it one action at a time, small and consistent? As I know the thought of maybe building a church or a kingdom can be quite daunting. But let it be a result that comes as a response of what's happening in our hearts. Because of the love that we've received. Because we love God. And we know that God loves people. And because God loves people, we love people. Let's not just love one another, as in the people that are just in God's kingdom. But let's go out there and love the Zacchaeuses in our community, in our neighborhood. We will never know the potential that people have unless we stop and we sow into them. So let's focus on building God's kingdom and loving Wimbledon the best we can. Amen. So guys, very challenging this week. Just to, let's get out there. Let's go and love Wimbledon the best we can. I know we're in level four lockdown, <laughs> which is a bit difficult. But you know what? When we pass our neighbors in the road, in the street, whatever the case is, just start by a hello. Because the next time you can you see them, you can be a hello, how are you? And let it be a heartfelt thing. Because people are not projects. We know they're not projects. But really, we just want to extend the love that God has given us through our hearts to theirs. This morning, I just want to invite you to come to ministry. If there's anything that has touched your heart this morning, if there's anything you need prayer for, or just want to talk through anything, please join us for ministry after the session in the link below. We would love to hear from you. We'd love to talk to you. So please join us. Uh, but before we close off, I just want to just say an ending prayer. Father God, we just want to say thank you that you have planted us in Wimbledon. Father God, thank you for all the possessions that we, we have, Father God, that you've given us. But Lord, we just want to come and lay it down now, Father God, and just declare that you are our focus, Lord. That the things that we have, the things that we are, Lord, we're going to use them to build your kingdom and to love others, Father God. So I pray that this morning, Father God, that you will help us, show us, Lord, your love, and that we would know how to pour this love into those around us. We thank you, Lord, that you love Wimbledon. And because you love Wimbledon, Father, we love Wimbledon. And we love all the people in Wimbledon. So we just come and commit all this now to you in the precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please join us for ministry time and have a wonderful and blessed week. Goodbye.